Welcome to Stupid Beautiful. I'm your host, Travis Day. I never quite figured out how to fit in to this modern American society. When I gave myself permission to stop trying, I started living the life I always dreamed of. When you're born into a world you don't fit into, it's because you were born to help create a new one. This podcast is a deep dive into the unique and inspiring lives of my guests who by living authentically are on a mission to create a new world. If you enjoy this conversation, please leave a review, subscribe to the show, and share this episode on social media. Welcome to the show. I have with me today David Dennis and Martine Stipout from Ventana Surfboards. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for being here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Yeah, my pleasure. So, David, (laughs) I started following you on uh, Instagram and very quickly you reached out. uh, Love the podcast. We would like to be guests. And my first reaction was yes. Um, so for those of you who don't know about Ventana surfboards, um, I suggest you hit pause right now and go check them out on Instagram at Ventana surfboards. Um, these are just beautiful pieces of art. Um, they are hollow wooden surfboards um, and they're just gorgeous. My first thought when I saw it was these are beautiful and will I ever be able to afford one? <laughs> Well, you we'll come, get to come up, come up and demo some. You guys do demos? Uh, we've got a couple, yeah, that you can ride. Uh, Martine built one that we recently, and we've got a we've got a couple in the shop right now that you could certainly ride. Amazing, cool. Okay, so before we uh, let you guys introduce Ventana, um, I just want to touch a little bit on each of your backgrounds. Um, it seems like you have very different backgrounds, and you're now in this kind of like perfect partnership. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Martine, you grew up in South Africa. Uh, it seems like you found surfing and um, the ocean very early. It became a passion and kind of a theme running through your life. And, and you've always kind of been in that realm. Um, David, you're a tech guy, which I wasn't expecting. Seems like you have a ton of different stuff going on. Um, yeah. And now you found, uh, you found uh, Martine to create this, this partnership. So um, Bartine, you want to just give us a little bit of background on yourself and kind of how you found yourself where you, where you are now? Sure. Um, yeah, I think you got it. You got it pretty right. I was born in South Africa and lived there for you know, up until I was five. I was pretty young when I left, but then moved to Germany for a number of years and then moved to the Netherlands where my family is originally from. Hmm. Um, and that's where I really started surfing and started loving the ocean as much as I do. Um, Obviously, it was the North Sea, but you work with what you get. Um, When we were in South Africa, we did make occasional trips down to the coast, and it was always amazing. I mean, you spent a lot of time at the beaches in Durban and um, never really made it down to Cape Town, but, you know, in the J-Bay area. And that that always inspired me to kind of, I don't know, look further to the ocean. I knew when I was that young that I was going to be a marine biologist when I grew Mm -hmm. up and always stuck to that. Um, and then when I was just about to go into high school in eighth grade, we moved to the States. Um, 
and my dad, you know, we were transferred here. And I, I basically, once I got into college, I immediately moved over to Santa Cruz and started doing marine biology. Um, obviously, I'd picked up surfing right away as soon as we moved here. I mean, that was, that was a huge plus for us. Yeah. Uh, my brother and myself to be able to be near the ocean, finally. Um, so that was, that was really nice. And then the marine biology led me on an interesting path into kind of running a sailboat and doing conservation education uh, based on a sailboat. And that taught me um, more so than I had already been exposed to the basic impacts of everything we do in our day-to-day lives um, and the trash that's out there and, and, you know, the problems that really exist with all these things as a surfer, you know, we tend to be close to the ocean, but as we don't use very ocean-minded um, materials to go yeah. surfing, so, you know, that's a big deal. I'd always bought used surfboards, and at one point, um, I'd fixed enough used surfboards to figure out that I didn't like working with foam. It wasn't for me. It was just not a material that I liked very much, and um, just kind of thought about it for a little bit, and then it happened that my dad started building a couple of wooden kayaks, and he was interested in building a wooden stand-up paddleboard, so I started doing research um, and kind of got ahead of the game and just figured out how to build a, a surfboard in my backyard. Um, and that's kind of how the madness started. It was, uh, <laughs> took me a long time, very crude, crudely built. It's a beautiful board, and it's probably the worst thing that's ever tried to surf. But <laughs> it got something started. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's a, in a real brief story the gist of it and i switched yeah. from doing marine conservation conservation education into building sustainable wooden surfboards beautiful beautiful cool david i just like doing these podcasts because i always learn facts about martine that i didn't know before <laughs> it's the Gotta only way we get back for the next one <laughs> i know the only way we get to know each other is doing a podcast so that i can listen to his answers uh and then i forget all of it and then i get to learn it all again the next time uh cool what was the question <laughs> just just a little bit of backstory i just i love your guys partnership um because i see you coming from very different backgrounds um and then you kind of just like met into this beautiful like synchronicity so uh if you want to just give people a little bit of background about about yourself and how you ended up to be a co-creator of a of an environmental surfboard company can i uh can we talk can i talk about our partnership is beautiful in the future martine is that good what did you call it <laughs> perfectly beautiful uh it is a pretty good partnership so i mean i martine doesn't let me touch the tools because i'm likely you know, i have all my hands the fingers on my hands and i was sure gonna I ask if martine ever let you build one <laughs> no but my daughter did um yeah. on slash dna i think is what it is or dna okay. board my daughter built one with Martine for a senior high school project. And awesome. it's interesting when women or girls come in and work, they, they're really safe and everything's fine. And the guys come in and there's always injuries. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, in a, I'm not allowed to touch the tools. In fact, I'm barely allowed to touch the boards when they're in progress. I get yelled at all the time. But, I, um, but the partnership's good for that reason because I don't, although I loved wood shop and such when I was younger, um, I was never very good at it. I love marketing and brand building yeah. and product development and business development and public relations and partnerships and all that sort of stuff. And although I, I'm Martin could certainly do that. It's not his passion. Yeah. Uh, he would be just as happy being alone in the workshop, you know, all day long as he usually is <laughs> uh, getting him out of his box to do a podcast was, you know, sometimes. <laughs> but he, um, and, but I love that. And so, um, 
it's been great because I can do all the online stuff and all the yeah. sales and marketing and, and support. I mean, I'm Martine's biggest fan. The, the yeah. boards are amazing. The, the stuff he invents, we've created some products together. Yeah. Just phenomenal. Yeah, well, I, lo- so, I just want to say really, really quickly, I feel like in our, in our society, we're so taught to look at our weaknesses, our weaknesses, and that's what yeah. we need to work on and focus on and, and become better at those things. When in reality, like my view, like your guys' partnership, it's like, okay, maybe the online marketing thing isn't Martin's strength, but it's certainly not a weakness because his passion is, is what he's here to do. And so you come in and just kind of fill that void and, and that's how we get things moving, not by Martin killing himself on, online trying to get it moving. Yeah, and I mean, and, and without what he creates, I mean, marketing would totally. be, I wouldn't be able to, there would be nothing amazing exactly, to market. Exactly. So it works yeah. out really well. But you, you said something interesting. The, my favorite book on business is called um, First Break All the Rules, written by the Gallup organization. And then there's a second one called Now Discover Your Strengths. And it was, I work for Microsoft. I've been there for 20 years. And I, I, for many, many years, I managed uh, teams at Microsoft. And I was focused early on in my career about, you know, like, let's identify everyone's weaknesses. What are my weaknesses? Let's go do training. Let's fix those. Read that book and realize that the better approach is figuring out what your strengths are and what the strengths mm-hmm. are of the team members and then focusing them there as opposed to just constantly trying to hammer on. Like I'm a ter- yeah. I'm terrible in math. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to go and learn math. Like I'm yeah. going to go <laughs> where I'm good. Uh, and so you nailed it. And that's where the partnership works. Cause there's yeah. things that I'm good at, things that our time's good at. Uh, and we're able to work together to create some cool math. Yeah. You're better at math. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's good at math. I mean, that's why the board. I can see are, my like, time being so good perfect. Math. Yeah, everything's yeah, measured. There's some time lapse videos that you guys have that are awesome of of Martine creating these these works of art, and you could just tell how detail oriented he is, and he he's yeah. definitely in the zone. So, but I I didn't start surfing until I was almost forty, and I'm fifty one. Hmm. Uh, and I just got completely addicted. I mean, I'm not religious, and that just became as close to a religion yeah. as I had. And uh, did a photo exhibit to raise money for the Surfrider Foundation, where I photographed shapers. Realized how toxic the industry was as part of that project. Martin was one of the people I photographed, mm-hmm. so we decided to partner together to create a new entity. He had already been building boards, but a partnership didn't work out, and and uh, we realized that we could work together. And it's been going for, I think we incorporated Martin like more than six years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's been, and it's, it's, you know, we've wow. been profitable from the beginning. Yeah. If you go on the website, it's just sold, sold, sold. So I think you can, you can, there's no boards for sale. Are you doing all, all customs or do you do boards that you throw up on the website? There's two in process for the website, but yeah, it's mostly custom. Go ahead. Martin. Yeah, it's mostly customs. Exactly. Um, I used to have time to build a stock board or two, but by now it's kind of, it's backed up, which is a great thing. Uh, Although I should have a couple more stock boards ready, um, hopefully before Christmas. Awesome. Cool. Do you, um, do you want to just talk a little bit more about the boards, how you build them, um, where that passion came from? You use reclaimed wood, which is so cool. Um, just give us a little more info. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, you can turn it into a really romantic story, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it started in South Africa. Uh, when we'd go to the dump, we'd go drop off garbage, but I'd come back with more than we had. Uh, more than we dropped off um you were allowed to scavenge and it wasn't a problem so it was literally like go get new toys and Mm. fix them up day um and that's how my entire childhood was we didn't have very much of anything in south africa 
so my dad, as far as I know, he and my uncle built our first bikes out of mm -hmm. scrap steel and just, you know, you name it. Um, so that was instilled in me from a very young age, as well as building things. My dad always had a very small but functional wood shop wherever we lived. Um, you know, might have just been a saw and a sander and a drill, but he always had something and he was always building something. Uh, so that's really where it started, and I continued that through my whole upbringing. I mean, I always figured out how to make something before I'd go buy it. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, basically, a lot of it came out of the necessity and me not having any money and being horrible with money. I, if I wanted something, I'd have to build it, figure out how to make it for free or for cheap. And then, you know, after a while, definitely into my teenage years, I started realizing that hey, it was actually doing something good and reducing yeah. what's being thrown away. I'm not consuming as much. Um, and I have a hell of a lot of fun doing it. I'm learning all these different skills doing it. So that just transferred into surfboards as well. Um, again, in the beginning, I didn't really realize what I was doing. I was just building hollow wooden surfboards because I didn't have a job anymore. Um, <laughs> but as things changed, you know, I started even I think after the first few boards where I was limited to plywood because I didn't have the tooling, once I got the right tooling, I figured out really quickly that I can still go to the landfill and I can pick through the wood pile and I can grab nice wood, you know, stuff that otherwise would get chipped away. And then I started figuring out, okay, well, this is old growth redwood. Where might this have come from? And that's kind of how the whole story aspect started. So yeah. I think it was, you know, sixth or seventh board um, once I'd opened the business um, that I really started focusing on like, hey, this is, you know, this is an interesting piece of wood from this house up the road. And that was all it was. Um, but it kind of got that ball rolling. And then through through somebody, through a shop locally, I got in contact with a guy named Tom um, who had salvaged hundreds of lineal feet, uh, almost 2,000 lineal feet of old growth redwood floorboards from a pretty famous house in Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. So with that, the whole story background started. And yeah. I think that was, you know, for me, still one of the most memorable conversations that David and I had said, you know, how are we going to, eventually increase the cost of these boards how do we how do we climb the ladder how do the boards become more interesting i said well you can go buy nice wood but anybody can go buy nice wood let's just tell a better story let's yeah. just figure out you know how we can get people emotionally attached to it more than it just being this piece of exotic wood that was dropped in a rainforest in indonesia two years ago yeah. um and it's you know that that in itself i think has has driven a lot more customers mm -hmm to become customers simply that they have some sort of emotional connection to a piece of wood. You know, the most famous example being John Steinbeck's, um, the boat that he took through the Sea of Cortez, um, the Western Flyer. We get comments all the time from people that have no idea about surfing or surf products, but they love the Western Flyer. They love John Steinbeck and they want to have that connection. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's, it started basically out of necessity and frugality and then yeah. turned into something that's now kind of the most important thing is what stories does each yeah. piece of wood tell. So cool. I, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, to see it kind of blossom into that. And, and that's what really hooked me. You know, they are absolutely beautiful boards, but once I started diving in and hearing that story, I, my interest just really, really peaked and I, I got even more, more involved in and went deeper down that rabbit hole. So, um, and I'm sure, Perfect. I'm sure David, that's your marketing dream to be able to sell, to sell the story. Oh, stories. I mean, like marketing, just, 
for sure. Marketing's, I mean, just storytelling really. And we can tell, I mean, yeah. every single splinter on every single board has these incredible stories, but from like, from a business perspective, I mean, we're getting the best woods in the world for free. Everything's yeah. donated. We have this amazing partner program and the Monterey Bay Aquarium's a part of it and Santa Cruz Guitar Company and Mission Bell and Repercussion Drums in the UK and Upcycled yeah. Skate Art. Like we have this huge long list and they're all just giving us free wood. Then we market their business. Yeah. So from a cost perspective, it's, it's amazing. Um, and then obviously the storytelling is, you yeah. know, we, when we started, I think it was like probably our first conversation six or seven years ago. It was lots of people are building surfboards. Some others are building wooden surfboards. How do you differentiate yourself in a competitive market? Well, if the materials you're using are exclusive, unique, and have this incredibly rich history, like that in and of itself is a yeah. huge differentiator. And obviously the boards have to be beautiful and high quality and surfable as well. And those yeah. that they are. So that's, that's been really great for me as a marketer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, just the, your partnership, just uh, it's, it's so awesome. Uh, so David, I watched your Ted talk. You gave oh, a, a Ted talk on T TEDx in San Francisco. Was Santa it? Cruz. Or in, in, in Santa Cruz. Um, and I, got full on chills towards the end and was like, okay, this could be an advertisement for my podcast. Oh, cool. <laughs> the things you were saying were just hit home with me. And I, I wrote down a little quote that you had at the end. I just want to read it. Um, I choose to live a life that's balanced and integrated where my day job actually complements my passions. I choose to live a life that balances my passion, productivity, and my purpose. And it's the only way I want to live. When did you choose this and when did this come to you? Um, I, I don't know if it was like a conscious decision. It just sort of happened. I mean, I loved, the, the, I guess the, I tie it to, I think in the Ted talk to this guy named CJ who was homeless mm -hmm. living in Santa Cruz. And like, I love to take photos of people around the world in various travels because I don't have much attention span. <laughs> so like I'm constantly taking pictures of people and my wife's looking at the museum with all the signs and reading everything. And I go yeah. to the museum in 10 seconds and then I go outside and I want to take pictures or do something. So I was taking, I've got this collection of, you know, portraits from around the world, but I wasn't really doing anything like helpful or valuable with them other than just showcasing them on Flickr and giving them away for free. And so I found, I took a picture of this gentleman named CJ in Santa Cruz who was homeless. And it just, I had this spark of an idea of how could we use the photography to raise money for people in need um, and came up with this idea of philanthropic photography. Microsoft has a giving program where they match $25 an hour for every hour we volunteer and a hundred percent of everything we donate to charity. Awesome. So I started doing these photo exhibits because I love taking pictures and I wanted to figure out a way to give back in Santa Cruz. Mm. So I support these nonprofits through photo exhibits sell the pictures, donate all the money, Microsoft matches it, all my volunteer hours get matched. And so we generally raise 10 to $20,000 a project. Wow. But the Surfrider Foundation Santa Cruz was one of the pro uh, nonprofits I supported with a Shaper photo exhibit, which is how I met Martine, which is how <laughs> um, you know, the, the focus on environmental conservation popped up. Um, and so um, I realized that I could marry my love for photography, my yeah. new love for surfing, but not have to leave Microsoft to do it. Yeah, um, I love working there and I love what they're able to do for our community with their matching program. And so yeah. I figured out sort of how to in integrate them all. And I've, it's been really valuable for me. And I think it's been good for my kids to see, you know, that you can have balance like that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of them's about to graduate from UC Santa Barbara. The other one's halfway oh, awesome. through. And, and I'm hoping that uh, 
that they're, you know, that, that they kind of take a similar path. Yeah. Was your, um, you, you mentioned kind of jokingly that people say you have an undiagnosed case of, of ADD and your attention goes here and there. Right. Was that ever kind of posed to you as a negative thing that you needed to overcome or was oh, yeah. it? Okay. I mean, I got, I got locked in the closet in my Spanish class in high school. <laughs> okay. I, was, I mean, I just can't, I mean, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention. I don't know if do you publish the video or you just do audio? I've just been doing audio, yeah. but I record video on all of them. So. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, I'm struggling right now to just continue to look at you and not have my eyes dart all over yeah. the place. Yeah. Like it's hard. And so, yeah, I was always getting into trouble in school and, um, you know, it's been, it's been challenging. And my wife is a special ed teacher and she works with people with ADD and autism and learning disabilities. And so I don't even know if it's undiagnosed case at this point. I get told every single day. <laughs> she gave you, she finally gave you the diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, I've got the diagnosis. So yeah. So that's um, yeah. So when I, I see that and you're just absolutely thriving and you do have your interests get kind of scattered all over the place, but I see it as a strength, you know, that's how you met Mar Martine and you know, that's how you kind of cultivated all, all of the stuff that you have going on in your life. And it's just so sad to watch stuff like that get diagnosed as an, as a disorder when really it's, it's only a disorder to the, to the society we created where it becomes a disorder. And, and if that doesn't exist, you know, I, it can be a strength. It's an incredible strength for me in almost every single part of my life. The hard part was sitting in rows in a classroom. Yep. And so if, if you've got a different environment for learning, some, you know, a person like me or my, my wife's students can actually thrive. And so I, I agree with you. I actually became a, I was a school teacher for six years. And part of the reason I went into teaching was because I wanted to create a different environment for students who, you know, I thought were, weren't getting um, the best kind of education they could based on their learning um, mm -hmm. styles. For sure. For sure. And, and Martine, when I think of you, I mean, I don't know you guys very well. This is all just from digging on the internet, you know, but you seem so laser focused. And so like, this is my passion. This is my calling from a very young age. And I know this is what I'm going to do and, and you're doing it. So it's so cool to see these kind of two different, you know, two different personalities and both, both thriving in this world. Um, have you always been very laser, laser focused and, and, uh, yeah, um, I think I have been, I've always kind of known, you know, to look for the goal and to work your way towards it. It doesn't matter how long it takes or how small the steps are, as long as you get there. Um, and you know, David's definitely, he's the go, go, go man. Yeah. And in the beginning it was, it was interesting because I'm just not, um, yeah. So it was a lot of an adjustment period where I had to kind of get into gear and actually answer a text message when it comes in and answer the <laughs> phone and, and send pictures. So David has something to do and to market. Yeah. Um, and for him, it was also, you know, an adjustment as far as slowing down and realizing that this stuff's handmade. It takes a while and I can't send you a picture every hour because nothing's yeah. really changed. Um, <laughs> So in that aspect, you know, it's, it's, I don't see it as a negative thing at all. Um, you know, the, the case of David, <laughs> it's just how you focus it. It's yeah. as long as it's focused correctly. And I think that's a big problem that David also mentions with schooling. It's just, it doesn't work for everybody the same way. Yeah. Um, but as long as you can focus that attention, then it's really good. Um, for me, you know, this, this, I think I've always kind of, followed my passion more than being led into a path. 
you know, I've never had the drive of having to be successful, having to fill the coffers with gold um, and really kind of look out for it that way. I've always been taught that I need to be happy first and foremost and figure out how I can be happy and how I can be successful. And it doesn't have to be something that's separate, even though you see it so often. Um, and I, you know, I think my mom definitely had a hard time when I told her, okay, I'm leaving marine biology and I'm going to be a woodworker and it's kind of cringe for her. But now she realizes that because you're a woodworker, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're brain dead and you're pounding nails, putting something <laughs> together. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And for me, that focus has always been really good. I've been able to have that outlet. Um, I'm a very quiet person. I don't talk a whole lot. I, you know, I, I kind of do my own thing and building surfboards in my own little shop is just perfect. Because um, I can focus on all the little parts and really kind of <clears throat> get down to business and do those things. And the attention to detail is, is what makes it the most fun for me. And now your mom's involved, kind of. I mean, we did a hand plane series, a body surfing hand yeah. plane series where she did, um, I think each one was like 60 hours of detailed painting wow. work. Yeah. And we sold those and she did a, wow. a beautiful um, so you're kind of indigenous whale on a paddleboard that Martine built. So I think your mom's pretty stoked now, I hope. The mug I'm drinking. Oh, yeah. she did that? Is that your, so your mom's, yeah. it, your mom paints? She's a great artist. Yeah. yeah. So cool. How long does it take you to make one of these, one of these? Uh, that would be, it would be great to know that. <laughs> Wouldn't it? <laughs> I wish I knew. I always say four to six weeks. Um, yeah. The board I'm working on right now is, <clears throat> it's probably one of the most complicated boards I've done just because there's so much woodworking involved. Um, well, I guess the amount of woodworking doesn't change right by board. It's all the same. Um, but I'm doing a, a five foot inlay of an octopus into a mahogany deck where I'm continuing the grain lines through the entire thing. Um, now I completely spaced on what we're talking about. I just asking you to, to time. I'm, I'm just enjoying oh, watch, time, watching yeah, you go into right. the details. It's, it's the inlays. That, and good, yeah. <laughs> How long does it uh, take you? See what so he did? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you see what he just did? <laughs> I've been trying to get him to document how long it takes to do a surfboard for six and a half years. And so he just, he somehow magically forgot yeah. what he was yeah. talking about. That was a we very, no, it's, to 70 hours. it's still somewhere between, it's, it's somewhere between 40 and 60 hours, depending on the complication of the board. Um, you know, a lot of that time is in the glassing and is in polishing. So depending on how my, my fiberglass coats and my epoxy coats come out, it can make a difference of two hours of standing at the end or 12 hours of standing at yeah. the end plus another coat. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately that's where the biggest variable comes. Yeah. Um, the woodworking well, that... I'm pretty confident on and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty solid with my process and you know, if pushed, I mean this, this passport I've been working on, I'm going to get the woodworking done in a week, which yeah. is pretty unheard of for me, but I'm also doing two shifts a day, meaning I do a couple hours in the morning and then go home while all my epoxy is drying so I can go back eight hours later and continue the board. Whereas usually I'd work, you know, six, six to eight hour day and then just go home for the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of a, I was going to say, it's kind of an unfair question because it's not like you're making surfboards, you know, these yeah, are it's a little bit different. It's, it's different than that. I mean, they are surfboards and you do say people do ride them. One of my first, again, another thought was like, do people put wax on these things? I know that's a question you get, you get all the time. So it's really cool to see you out in the water, actually surfing these things. 
Um, but what, what keeps you going and what keeps you interested project after project? I'm, I'm sure it's the, it's the little details, the inlays, the, the really um, d detailed work that you get to do on them. It is. Um, it's definitely, that's, that's a big part of it. You know, I build, as most of the boards are custom, I kind of build them to spec, right? The customer looks through what I've built before and says, okay, well, if you have some of Steinbeck's house, Redwood, then use that, but do the top deck like this and the bottom deck, I want way too many fish scales glued together. So you do that. Um, and that's, you know, those are, those are definitely fun boards. Um, I guess the interesting part comes when it's, uh, when it's a stock board or when I get to have yeah. creative, freedom and just really do what i want to do um, those boards tend to be a lot more fun just because i can maybe execute an idea i've had for a while or yeah. maybe i build a board a certain way just to use a new tool i have in the shop um, you know or a special piece of wood that i've just been dying to work with um, so those tend to kind of really fill those voids of you know wanting something new to do creatively um, but keeping me going, I mean, I know that I, I do what I love and I do it for, you know, good pay and the people that are purchasing what I build mm. appreciate them and will appreciate them hopefully for generations. And, you know, they feel that what I'm doing is worth their money. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a huge inspiration. Um, you know, I don't feel like I'm providing a service working for a cable company or something where people don't have a, a question, you know, or a, an option. They have to pay that money if that's what they want. Yeah. You know, these people are putting their hard earned dollars on the table for me to be able to go to work, for me to be able to live in paradise and raise you know, a beautiful family. Um, so as with most of those things, that is the driving, the driving um, engine behind everything, but I get to do it. You know, I get to do something that I absolutely love and, and wouldn't live without. I mean, I come home and I have, I'm working on a wooden boat in my garage because I just can't get enough <laughs> of building wooden stuff. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and do you think that has a huge part to do with why you're so successful? Because you would be doing it whether people were paying you or not. Yeah, I think so. I think if I weren't doing it for pay, then my job, whatever that may be, would be suffering <laughs> a lot. Um, and I, you know, it's, it has to be part of the success because yeah. if I wasn't putting that energy and that passion into it, then I think it would show in the boards and it would just be another guy trying to crunch out a wooden yeah. surfboard to make some money. Yeah. And David, is that what you saw in Martine when you guys first met? Yeah. I mean, he's, he was the only one I photographed that was doing, um, hollow wooden surfboards and, like, I mean, so what happened was I was photographing all these different, I think I photographed more than 40 different shapers or people making fins or ding repair people from Half Moon Bay to Watsonville over a four month period. And every shop I'd walked into, every shaping bay, you know, it would be foam in the air. I, you know, I was photographing and I wasn't, so I didn't have a mask on. Yeah. <laughs> so like I'm breathing toxic foam and the red, I'd walk out with a brutal headache and I don't get yeah. headaches. And so as I started to research, you know, the toxicity of what was being created and, you know, some of the shapers, one of them that I photographed, you know, died of cancer not long after. And I'm sure that was an exacerbating factor. And, and so I went home one week, one weekend after part of my, uh, my photo shooting, I wrote a, 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 I put together a PowerPoint deck of just a vision for a new kind of surf company that was focused on the environment. Mm 
mm. with a bar for the for environmental responsibility that was higher than anything else out there. We're, we're trying to be the most environmentally responsible surf company in the world, and it's not just surfboards. We do apparel yeah. and other things as well. Um, and so, you know, my what, what popped into my head was okay, who could I partner with? Because obviously, I don't have the craft craft skills, the the building skills. Um, and you know, Martine was was the obvious choice because he was building the most environmentally responsible surfboards I'd ever seen since it was all reclaimed and yeah. entropy resins, bioresin and cork rails. I mean, it's as, as sustainable as you can get. In fact, we were the first company in the world to be gold certified by sustainable surf. Um, and it's just because it hit what he was doing fit so well with the vision that I had. Mm -hmm. And then we wanted to expand the brand. So it's actually Ventana surfboards and supplies, mm -hmm. which gives us a platform to do apparel, uh, the save a surf box that Martine invented, which is a mm -hmm. surfer's toolkit. We're selling bookmarks now that are made from the wood from John Steinbeck's boat that are offcuts from the surfboards. Wow. Cause we're trying not to waste everything. Anything. Oh, that's so cool. Hand planes, um, using the wood and knife handles, um, bottle openers you know we're trying to just use every single thing we can yeah. uh, and tie it back to this platform of ventana surfboards and supplies gives me more to talk about when martin's you know <laughs> on trying to get a board done <laughs> when he's working when he's working he says hey go go uh, sell the the bookmarks and the and the t-shirts <laughs> yeah it's basically what it is so and then you know we do a lot of collaboration like we're in the we're just about to do a a, a jam line with a local woman that creates this amazing, these amazing jams. So we're doing a yeah. Ventana themed set of jams for the holidays. We've done awesome. sea salt, we've done hot chocolate, we've done coffee. We've done three beer collaborations with Humble Sea Brewing Company. Mm -hmm. We did a wine with Sarah Winery, a Ventana Surfboard Syrah it was called. And so yeah. we're always doing all these cool things to help other local businesses, but also to get the word out and make our brand accessible to people who can't afford a $10,000 surfboard. And that's the average for one of our boards. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really where I see your your expertise. Your uh, just master marketer and partnerships have to be something that keeps you going too. That's what I mean. And I learned that from Microsoft. I mean, we mm -hmm. basically, you know, as a company, we're all about partnerships and enabling others to to do great work. And and so just taking that that business tech mindset and applying it to a surf brand has been super yeah. fun. Yeah. So cool. So cool. Um, so you're, I noticed you guys are very, very focused on the environmental piece. Um, was that always there from day one? Um, I, I'll let Martine answer that and then I'll, yeah. I'll explain kind of how I think about it. Yeah. Uh, yes, it has been. Um, it definitely has been. I mean, my parents have used reusable grocery bags since I can remember what a grocery bag was. You know, that was just in different countries, especially Europe. They've always been a little bit ahead in those, especially in that game. Um, you know, those things have always been quite normal. Um, it wasn't something new for me. And then yeah. right out of college, well, while I was still in college, I started working for a small nonprofit called Sea Life Conservation, um, where we basically, we ran a, a state-of-the-art, purpose-built sailing boat um, that was built for marine research and education. So it was built with a vinyl ester resin, the whole thing, you know, it was, had some pretty interesting materials, was built out of a scrap carbon fiber. So it was ultra light, um, huge capacity as far as people goes, just a, you know, the smallest footprint research boat that was out there. Um, and we did marine conservation and education. So we take random tourists out during the summer months through the aquarium 
and we teach them about the impacts of plastic pollution, the impacts of water pollution, et cetera, and then show them the ecosystem that was, you know, that's present in Monterey Bay. Um, what's pretty funny about that, though, the full, I think, six or eight years that I worked on that boat, I was working with David's parents, completely <laughs> unbeknownst to me. No uh, way. They met we at kind the of re- too, that I, I put what? on. They didn't realize they all knew each other. So, yeah. Wow, that's yeah, I just, I just saw them. What the hell are you doing here? Well, that's my son. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, so, the, the, you know, the, the environmental part of it was always in me from that. And while I was working on the boat, I mean, I kind of, it's as you do when you're in that the business i went so hardcore on anti-trash and anti-everything i was i felt myself becoming quite a negative person so i actually had to tone it back a little bit because you know you can only do so much and beyond that you're going to drive yourself nuts and you're just not going to live a happy life um that's also when i you know i was surfing a ton and unfortunately repairing my board a lot and (laughs) realized quickly that foam was just yeah it's not for me um again i won't speak negatively upon anybody else working with it but it's just not for me um so when i started building wooden boards it's like all right this is a lot better i'm still coating them in fiberglass which was kind of a thing for me in the beginning i was trying to figure out if there were any good substitutes you know if there are the resins i could use um but right as i was starting entropy came out with their super sap which was a really high i think the original formula was like 70 percent bio content resin Hmm. um so that was already a step. I was like, okay, you know, we can probably do this. If I'm using the resin, at least it's a high bio content and I'm building these boards to last first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, they kind of evolved into becoming more art pieces after that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the fiberglass was the next thing. Like, okay, I'm building these boards, but I'm still using fiberglass. Well, the way I reason it now is, I am using a bit of fiberglass. I'm using about as much fiberglass as a foam board takes. However, my core is going to last infinitely longer, as well as these boards not really getting surfed. They're yeah. used as art pieces most of the time. They're always able to surf. But I want to build a lasting product that could literally still be around in 100 years, yeah. and you know, if it's reasonably well taken care of. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing. I feel better about using more resources on the front end creating a product that's going to outlast maybe an unglassed wooden board that could only last two seasons because it's not glassed and you're putting this in a saltwater environment. You're just, you're asking for trouble in my opinion, Um, unless there's constant maintenance and that's usually only done by people that build them themselves. Um, Otherwise you just don't have that investment uh, into it. So, you know, that's, that's a huge part on the building aspect of it. As far as the environmental responsibility goes, you know, it continues beyond that. All of our clothing and all of our other supplies are based on that. As David said, it's all made out of little scraps and you know, our clothing sustainably sourced and we have a good or as, as good as we can. Um, we always try to do our best. You might not, you know, okay, <laughs> we'll go on. Um, <laughs> how does it, but how I, does it, oh, sorry. Um, no, how does it make you feel that your boards could be around for hundreds of years? Uh, great. <laughs> you know, um, I, I would really love to see more of them surf and surf more often, but yeah. I also, I, I completely understand. That's all I can say is I completely understand. I built myself a new one this year for my 40th birthday and, uh, I have a hard time taking it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, uh, mine's, mine's in the shop right now because I snapped the fin off for the oh, second. Or times 
so busy, he hasn't been able to repair it, but they're definitely <laughs> repairable. Yeah. But I, we can understand why people don't always surf them, but yeah. they're, uh, all, every single one, 100% of them are built to surf. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Okay, let, let, that's a perfect transition. Let's talk a little bit about surfing. You guys are my first two guys I'm going to have on here, and we're going to talk surfing. Um, nice. That was my my first love and still my biggest passion uh, to this day. I found the ocean and surfing at a really young age. My dad taught me I think when I was probably eight or nine years old. And um, man, I got hooked from that, that first wave. And it's just uh, like, like you said earlier, David, it's kind of my religion. Um, what is, what does surfing mean to, to you? I mean, I, I love the ocean. I used to boogie board as a kid and uh, I was a scuba diving instructor at 19. My parents and my brother and I got certified when I was 16. And so I've always loved cool. the ocean. Um, and for whatever reason, didn't learn. I mean, I lived in Costa Rica. I lived in Spain, like, and I, and I didn't surf, traveled all over the world to these amazing surf spots and didn't surf. And somehow, um, I don't know why it didn't happen. And so we moved back, we lived in Spain. I worked for Microsoft in Spain. We moved back to uh, California over 10 years ago. And I just said, you know what, we're going to be in Santa Cruz. We're going to be planted here. I love it. We're not leaving. I got to learn how to surf. I mean, surfing started in North America and Santa Cruz in the late 1800s. And so um, my wife, my kids and I, they were eight and 10, all took surfing lessons with um, Club Ed uh, in Santa Cruz. And I got up right away. My kids got up. They loved it. My wife didn't love the cold and she's yeah. got hit. She wasn't into it. But the three of us, it turned into like this cool thing that we could do together. And um, we left, we were living up the mountain a little bit and I, we sold our house. We moved down to the beach, like literally <laughs> our lives around surfing. I now work from home full time. Mm. Part of the reason I stopped managing teams at Microsoft is so that I could work from home and be across from the beach and surf whenever I wanted. Mm. Um, so I just fell in love with it. And I live across from Mitchell's Cove, which is a great surf spot in Santa Cruz. I surf yeah. steamer mostly and up the coast. And yeah. um, I, it's just, honestly, because I'm so foca focused on tech, it's the only place that I can get away from it. Even when I'm mountain biking, I have my phone on me. But in the ocean, yeah. it's, it's the place I can get away and, and relax. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what it was for me. I, probably the only place I felt uh, at peace. Um, yeah. It, it is. Once you get in the water, I always tell people, it's like, you're in a different world. You're what, 30 yards off the shore. And it feels like you're in a completely, completely different world. Yeah. Well, and I also have a form of bipolar disorder. I have something called cyclothymia. And so like my wife will sometimes look at me and just say, you need to go in the ocean. Like yeah. <laughs> I come back and it's literally like medication. I'm on medication also. But <laughs> it's literally like medication. Um, you know, if, if I'm having a tough day and, and uh, yeah. I haven't found any quite like that yeah i i work um with a lot of kids with uh, adhd add depression like you name it and the parents always tell me when my kid surfs that morning they're different the rest of the day my um, son the same thing same yeah. thing yeah and and martine i've so my one of my best friends went to school at uc santa cruz so i've been up there a few times surfing and um got some great waves one experience i wanted to say really quick i surfed um we, we went up to go visit him in college and it was pumping it was probably 10 foot um we surfed pleasure point i yeah. forgot my four three wetsuit i brought my three two and i forgot my leash and had no booties <laughs> so, i caught i caught one wave uh 
ate it on the inside, lost my board and swam for the next like half hour and freezing cold water. Well, think about, I mean, think about like in the fifties and sixties, you know, before I think Jack O'Neill's son invented the leash and, you know, prior to that, they would surf in like wool sweaters and burn tires on the beach to keep warm. And they would just swap who had to keep the fire going while the other person's in the water. And now, yeah, we're out in a three, two with no leash and it's like the end of the world. I don't know how they did it. Totally. Yeah. How, how is it surfing up there for you, Martin? Uh, I love it. <laughs> I don't surf hardly as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, you know, once I, so we moved to San Jose when we moved to the States. Um, and as you know, I surfed as much as I could convince my parents to drive us over the hill. And then once I started driving, obviously it was a different story. Um, I spent most of my time over here surfing and through college I surfed continually. I mean, I, I went to school down in Monterey Bay, actually Monterey Bay oh. State University. And I'd have a three-hour break, and I'd come home and go surf Capitola, just because I love surfing Capitola on my longboard. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, for years, I did two, three sessions a day all the time, religiously, as you guys are saying. Um, <laughs> but in the last number of years, it's really declined a lot. Um, and that's some by force, some by choice. So I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, so obviously once that happened, things do slow down. You get less and less time to go do what you want. Um, on the other hand, I also wanted it less because I had her and because, you know, I'm so happy being at home and being, I don't know, just not surfing. You know, I had a a good run of 12, 15 years of continually surfing almost daily. Um, and then it was just kind of one of those things like, okay, I'm not saying I've had my fill, but I'm not itching to go surf. You know, I don't need that release of, being in another world and getting my attitude readjusted. Um, a lot of times I can find that just by making something, uh, you know, that's kind of where woodworking and creating is for me. Um, uh, I think you guys are spot on when you say surfing does reset your mind. I mean, you are 30 yards offshore, which is kind of a joke, but it's a completely different world out there. Um, but when Freya, more I, time, when Freya gets into it, wait, yeah. wait, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. I'll I'll be surfing a lot, which is great. Um, Yeah, I've also, I've had a a number of health issues in the last couple of years where I haven't been able to surf that much. I mean, I haven't been in the water in over six months, um, which, you know, I miss it, but I also don't want to destroy my spine for the rest of my life. So I know I can't surf right now and, and that's perfectly fine. That's why I'm getting a lot of work done, David. <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm so backed up with video content that I haven't posted yet because Martin is is uh is overproducing so- for you. Yeah. So you know, I think surfing definitely it holds that that kind of higher spot on the pedestal for me as well. Um I'm just on the downward slope right now and it's like everything. I mean, we're, you know, everything moves in waves, so it'll come back up and I'll yeah, I'll get totally. back in there. Totally. Um, but I still look at all the boards and I mind surf every one of them for yeah, quite yeah. a few ways. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, awesome. Awesome. Uh, cool. So let's just wrap this up. Um, wh- what's next for Ventana surfboards? You get, what do you, what do you have in the works? What are you excited about? Um, I think for us, it'll just be doing more collaborations with local companies. Um, talking with a cool artist right now. Martin doesn't actually know this. A really cool artist <laughs> in Switzerland about doing a, a clothing and apparel set of designs for us. 
Um, and then just building, you know, Martine, every single board he builds is better than the last one. Yeah. And the woods we keep getting are more and more and more interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm actually up in Lake Tahoe right now. I'm heading back through Sacramento to, uh, later today to pick up some redwood uh, water tank wood that's got this amazing Whoa. history. As we do more and more of that, um, the boards get better quality, the designs get more interesting, the prices go up, mm. uh, you know, because it takes him longer and the woods are, you know, have some really back, real backstory. So we'll just keep yeah. doing more, more interesting boards. Um, probably expand the clothing line a bit and go even bigger online because um, during the pandemic, we found that online has been pretty successful for us and we haven't been able to do our events, which is where we used to do most of our sales. Mm. So more awesome. collaborations, cool boards. So, so cool. The collaborations is such a win-win, win-win for everyone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We're stoked on it. What's Our next time. for you, Martin? I'd be curious to hear. <laughs> we haven't talked about this in a while. Yeah. What he said. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, are we over? Yeah. I just want to get back into the shop. <laughs> we have a customer and Martin's going to hate me for saying this. Um, so go walk away for a sec. We have a customer um, that uh, just ordered a paddleboard. And Martine's only built one paddleboard before, but we've had a number of requests for paddleboards. Mm. So as much as neither of us are super into paddleboarding and yeah. you know, don't really love them, and Martine doesn't love to build them because <laughs> they're harder to build, um, I could see us you know, potentially expanding into that a bit because it's obviously got appeal to a broader part of, of the world and the country um, as opposed to just people that live on the coasts. Awesome. Cool. And, and, um, tell us, uh, well, tell everyone listening where they can, where they can find you guys. We're every single place you could ever imagine <laughs> places you've never even heard of, but, yeah. uh, Instagram, Ventana surfboards, Facebook, Ventana surfboards, Twitter, Ventana surf. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're on house. We're on Reddit. We're on Pinterest. Martin doesn't know this, but I, I started a, a TikTok account two weeks ago. So we're on TikTok. Uh, we're, we're every, I think we're everywhere, but I may have an account on Snapchat, but we're not there. But Instagram is probably the best place for us. Ventana okay. Surfboard, obviously, VentanaSurfboards.com. Yeah. Yeah. You guys go check them out. These things are just unbelievable. It's nothing like I've ever seen before. Um, thank you guys so much for, for being with me today and, and for doing what you're doing. Um, you know, you're really, you're, you're creating a, a new world. I, I really believe that and, um, and good on both of you. So thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Travis. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to Stupid Beautiful. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your loved ones and maybe that cousin that you just can't stand. The most transformational experiences of my life have all started with the conversation, and I'm so grateful that you are here with me for this one. If you resonated with what you heard today, head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. It really helps expand the reach of this podcast. To stay connected with me, you can follow me on Instagram at Travis.Day. As always, sending you my love and more importantly, giving you permission to forget the reality you've been sold and start creating your own. <laughs>